Lakeisha Gunter, and you're listening to Roar, an energetic and enlightening weekly podcast that will help you achieve more. This weekly infusion of candid insights, indispensable lessons, inspiring stories, and success strategies for living your best life now will help you on your journey to making your dreams a reality. My experience as a Fortune 50 business and tech executive has led me to meet some pretty amazing people. On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar! Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by Roar? The beauty of Roar is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We're all born with it. A hidden power inside of us. It's a fire that's often suppressed by fear. That power is your Roar, and it's waiting to be unleashed. A few years ago, I was presented with an opportunity to lead the engineering career field and lead a product marketing team for one of Intel's largest businesses. And on top of that, I would have an opportunity to work for a leader who was on my dream sheet of leaders I always wanted to work for in the company. As you can imagine, doubt and a little bit of fear crept in as this wasn't my area of expertise and would definitely take me outside of my comfort zone. There was clearly some risk here. I could hear negative voices in my head sending all kinds of self-defeating messages. But immediately I said, if the leader believes in you, Lakeisha, and you have a proven track record of successful experiences in the past, put fear aside and devise a strategy to win. Fear was a call to action for me to tap into my roar. And that's exactly what I did. I said yes, and that was one of the most rewarding roles I've had in my career. Our team helped to grow the business significantly and was awarded one of the company's highest honors, a Corporate Achievement Award. This role that the leader entrusted me with was a springboard to my next role in the company. My guest today knows all about being fearless, taking risks, failing early and often, and winning big. Let me introduce you to Ronnie Basista. Ronnie is currently the vice president of the Networking and Configurable Logic Division and EASIC product group within the Programmable Solutions Group at Intel. Ronnie has over 30 years of experience in general management, marketing, wafer manufacturing, strategic planning, and operational management in the semiconductor industry. Prior to joining Intel through the acquisition of EASIC Corporation in 2018, Ronnie served as the president and chief executive officer of EASIC. I met Ronnie in 2018 when his company was being acquired by Intel and have enjoyed getting to know him ever since. After every conversation with Ronnie, I always feel like he's vested in my success and whatever challenge I ask for his guidance on, I walk away with a more simplistic view of the issue and the potential solution. You just feel smart and more empowered after talking with him. Ronnie is a leader who enjoys risk-taking and adventure. He has a passionate curiosity for learning fueled by a fearlessness and a willingness to take risk that have enabled him to deliver some of the most innovative technologies to the marketplace and lead the foremost technology companies in Silicon Valley. On top of this, he's one of the humblest leaders I know and is always willing to invest time to help others around him grow and thrive. Let's face it, 
The world is largely a better place in part because of adventurous leaders like Ronnie who dare to take risks. So let me welcome Ronnie to the show. Welcome, Ronnie. So good to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Lakeisha. Nice to be here. Wonderful. Well, listen, I am so excited to have you on the Roar podcast to talk about being fearless, taking risks, stepping outside your comfort zone to innovate, create, and inspire others to achieve more. So let's dive right in. What say you? Yep, let's do it. All right. So first, I want to just give you an opportunity to share with our audience a little bit about your background, um, where you're from, and how that shaped you to be who you are today. Sure. All right. Let me start right at the beginning, actually before the beginning. So um, my parents uh, emigrated from India in the late 50s, like many others, to pursue a better life. And they emigrated to the UK. And kind of an unknown bit of that, which my mum, I'm sure, won't like me telling everybody, is that (laughs) time it was almost standard to have an arranged marriage. Well, my parents did not have an arranged marriage. They uh, actually bumped into each other in the Taj Mahal and they decided that they wanted to get married and their parents didn't want them to. So they moved to the UK, you know, with no money. Um, I guess this is a story that's consistent with many others. But I guess the thing that was important to me, which was, you know, they moved in the late 50s and then we grew up initially in a east end of London where there were very, very few Indians. And we grew up in, uh, for the early parts of my life, in East London. And um, so that kind of taught me a little bit about how to adapt, you know, being the only Indian kid in the school in a pretty challenging environment kind of taught you how to fit in, but also knowing that uh, you are different somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something that's been consistent throughout. You know, we walked, uh, my father actually ended up becoming, his, becoming a PhD in psychology. And he got a job on the remote east coast of England. And so then moved the family over there when I was seven years old. And again, we went into an environment where I was the only uh, child of Indian extraction. And, you know, you learn not just to survive, but how to thrive. And part of that is, uh, you know, assessing the environment you're in, even though you're doing it subconsciously as a child. And then, um, you know, building the network around yourself to try and try and thrive in that environment. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah, it sounds like it's in your DNA, that adventurous spirit, being willing to uh, adapt to any environment and circumstance. Um, and really find a community. It sounds like you've done that a number of times, even starting as a as a child. So I think I may know the answer to this question, but who were your biggest influences growing up and what did you learn from them? Yeah, so that's a great question. I'm going to um, go back to the comment I made earlier, which is about my mum. She was by far one of the biggest influences, uh, I would say, in in my life and also the life of my two brothers. You know, one thing I learned from her was that never be satisfied with the status quo, mm. but also an incredibly supportive person, always there to support us, whether it be saving money up to buy my first Cub Scout uniform or, you know, putting money together to buy football boots so I could change my football boots once a year. She was always there to support us, but at the same time, she worked multiple jobs 
sometimes jobs are over 100 miles away from where we lived mm. just to be able to have independence herself. And so that was a, a big influence. Now, my dad obviously was influential, but in a different way. He was a psychologist and so very contemplative. So I guess I learned to be um, a good listener from him, at least, you know, listen more than you talk. And then, you know, just quickly as I go through life, I kind of look back and say, who did influence me? You know, my sports teachers were turned out to be more influential than I thought. Mm-hmm. Incredibly encouraging, but incredibly hard, whether it be, you know, out on a rugby field or training for 400 meters or. But one thing I did realize is that they treated me beyond my years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they treated me as uh, what I was capable of as opposed to what my age is. And I think that's something that, um, you know, you can quickly assess people's capabilities and treat them accordingly. Wow. I love that. Right. You know, as you talked about your mom, you know, moms are special. I feel like moms are God's greatest gift to us, right? We're so blessed to have amazing moms and sounds like you had a phenomenal one and you learned independence through her and your dad. I mean, it really taught you about being an effective listener. And we know that uh, good leaders are good listeners. And so it's, it served you well, clearly over the years, I mean, your career and the importance of key relationships, family, teachers, coaches, who all really uh, spoke to the capability and the capacity they saw that you had versus how old you were. That's phenomenal, Ronnie. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well put, you know, treat people to their capabilities and even stretch them beyond their capabilities. I remember one day my um, sports teacher coming to me and saying, um, hey, Ronnie, you've uh, achieved the national time for 400 meters. And, you know, I didn't know. (laughs) I wasn't even aware that that had happened. You know, it wasn't a target of mine. I just happened to run the 400 meters and uh, been training for it. And and then he said, you know, we're going to go make that happen. And so, you know, it was, and that was a year before, you know, most of the other kids had achieved at that time. Well, speaking of just um, some of your biggest influences and really how they impact you and, and what you were able to, to learn just by observing them, you know, think back to maybe an experience growing up that really shaped you to who you are. What stands out maybe as a defining moment that really helped you find your roar? Yeah. So, you know, the reflection piece is kind of interesting because it's the point I reflect on. And at the time, I didn't really see it as an opportunity. You know, I'd gone away to university, studied electrical, electronic engineering, and um, was so excited to have my first job out of university. And I went to um, a wafer fabrication plant. So become a, I studied electronic engineering, but I wanted to learn how transistors were made. How are these silicon chips made? And so I thought, well, let me go work in a a plant, uh, a factory where they make these things. And so I'd got a job as uh, what's called a semiconductor process engineer Mm -hmm. in the wafer fab. And um, one of the big influences there was a guy that I first worked for who was incredibly bright and taught me at that time that substance is everything. You know, don't skim over the surface, delve down deep and learn. Mm-hmm. And um, so I set about doing that. Well, six months into that journey, I got called into an office over the loudspeaker and was told that I was going to be laid off three months from then. Wow. And the company was going through a tough time, needed to make reductions. 
And unfortunately, I was one of those reductions. So it was jarring at the time, but it did spur me into action. Mm-hmm. And turns out that uh, three months later, they decided, hey, we're not laying off these um, young guys from university. We're going to lay off the experienced guys. Wow. Who yeah. cost a lot of money. So they laid my boss off. Interesting. And that was a defining moment for me because he was incredibly gifted, very good at his job, and yet they decided to lay him off. Mm. So what did that define to me? It defined to me a couple of things. One is, you know what? Nobody owes me a living. Mm. I need to take advantage of the opportunities I can get. And so um, two and a half years later, in my uh, review with my boss at the time, said, hey, Ronnie, you've got a great review. You've done excellent. Is there anything you'd like to tell me? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm leaving. I've got a new opportunity. I'm going to grasp that opportunity. And um, I'm going to be leaving in two weeks. And not to say that I didn't build relationships, but I learned at that point that you know relationships can take you so far. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you've got to be able to cut the cord and grasp those new opportunities and you know, take the actions that not just the words. Wow, that is so powerful, man. So that was uh, definitely a career-defining moment. A lot of things wrapped up into what you just said. Kind of a career best manager at that time, someone you deeply respected um, and really who invested in you, right? Just because of um, a corporate restructure and the age he he was transitioning out of the company. But it sounds like you, you gleaned a lot from him. And I, I love the statement you made, nobody owes me a living. Powerful. And take advantage of every opportunity. And sometimes that means you got to take a leap of faith or step outside your comfort zone or be ready to take sail on a new adventure. And that's what you were willing to do. So powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So over your career, um, you've been a trailblazer. You've been an innovator, an individual contributor to a CEO a number of times. You know, how did you get comfortable with taking risk and embracing the unknown in the face of fear? Now, you've just given us a great example of that. But, you know, I know you had to somehow develop that muscle, right? Because you continue to increase in level of scope and responsibility and scale. So how did you get comfortable with taking those risks? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think one really sits back and thinks about risk. What you think about is the excitement or the things that drive you, mm-hmm. whether you consciously or subconsciously. And so risk, whether it be in the form of innovation or new ways of thinking, you know, those are the things that push me. So it came to a fact that, you know, you know, if I'm going to move from the UK to the US on my own for a better job, I'm going to go do it because the job's better and it gives me better opportunity and I can learn more. Mm-hmm. So you don't really see it as a risk. I think you see it as a risk is if you start contemplating the downsides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's kind of the key thing, which is don't think about the downsides. You know, yes, there are maybe there's no safety net. But at the same time, you know, nobody got to be a leader by thinking about how to stay at the back of the pack mm-hmm. um, because it's safer there or in the middle of the pack. You know, I think it was Peter Drucker who said that, Whenever you see a successful business, someone once made a courageous decision, right? Those are the things that kind of come without really thinking. And so a leader, in my mind, is a term that's kind of often banded around, but you you don't have to 
lead multiple people. You can be an individual and still be a leader. Mm-hmm. Right? You can have new ideas and innovation. And people actually want to hear new ideas. I think they want context for their thoughts. Right? They want context for their thoughts, their concerns, their cares, and leaders can put context around those things. For sure. You know, I think you need to be multifaceted, but ultimately you need to capture people's imagination because you know, it's imagination that stimulates people. And that imagination can often be in times of trouble or strife, but it can mm-hmm. also be in times of great success. You know, if that old saying, if you shoot for the stars, you'll hit the moon. Mm-hmm. People want to know what the stars look like. Mm-hmm. And if you end up hitting the moon, that, that that's acceptable too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Right. It's about painting a vision, um, really creating an opportunity to vision for the future and, and creating it in a way that people can galvanize around it and get excited about it. I love that. Talk a little bit about your biggest risk, if you can, right, that you've ever taken and whether it ended up a success or failure and what did it teach you? Yeah. So, you know, there's multiple risks, but maybe if I capture one of the biggest, it's, um, moving to a startup. Mm. I I moved to Silicon Valley back in um, the late 90s. And that was an exciting time to be in Silicon Valley. But I moved with a company that was a public company, around $2 billion in annual revenue, as, as a manager in marketing. And um, you know, that was a company I'd been with for multiple years and had multiple bosses and the move to the valley was um, you know, exciting for me. I ended up being um, VP of marketing at that company. Mm-hmm. And part of my marketing role was um, becoming more acquainted with startups in the Bay Area and the funders and enablers of startups, the ecosystem of venture capitalists. And so they started to reach out to me and say, hey, why don't you come and join this company, that company? And eventually I thought, you know, I'm here in Silicon Valley. Let me, let me try this out. It's incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time on a personal level, my daughter was um, around uh, 20 months old and my son was six months old. And so you might think right. it wasn't the perfect time to kind of go start a new venture. But, you know, I did. Mm-hmm. And, I didn't realize how little I knew at the time, honestly, because the venture world can be challenging. Uh, you've got to hit milestones or you don't get funded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I joined the startup end of 2004, and we really started to get product out onto the market in 2007, 2008. And then 2008, Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, financial crisis hit. Right. And there were presentations going around the venture world about how to you know, stop funding on companies, batten down the hatches. And here I was, you know, with some of the best VCs on Sand Hill Road looking at me and saying, hey, you know what, Ronnie? You're in charge. We're either going to shut your company down or um, you're going to have to figure out a way to survive because you've got no more money coming in. Wow. And honestly, if we had, you know, written the checks that were in our drawer on the people that we owed money to as a company, mm-hmm. we would have not been able to make payroll. 
and I had 140 people in the company that relied upon us making the right decisions and me kind of leading them through this. So that was really one of the, I think, biggest risks that I took and one of the most challenging times. And that kind of led to my phrase that I often use, which is, you know, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a zone that you've got to just live in naturally as a leader. Mm-hmm. It can't, you can't be outside of your comfort zone and be panicking as a leader. Absolutely. So in that situation with the startup, right, funding was running out, right? You had a decision, pay your employees or pay your, uh, the folks that, you know, that were kind of keeping you in business, so to speak. What happened in the end to that company? And, you know, it sounds like it taught you a lot about really being able to operate outside your comfort zone. Yeah. So we did a few things. Firstly, we had to cut cut operational expense. Mm -hmm. And so all the execs, including myself, we all took pay cuts. Mm-hmm. We had to lay off a couple of people, but we tried to keep that to a minimum. We also looked very carefully at um, how do we push out expenses. So I mm-hmm. called all the people, the suppliers that I knew, whether it be in the material supply or tools, electronic tools that we have, and said, hey, look, we just can't pay you right now, but you know, we're going to pay you later. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, Went and begged and borrowed, not stole, but begged and borrowed <laughs> from from uh, banks to keep us going. Those were the things, but we didn't lose a person involuntarily throughout that entire period. That's fantastic. We had an incredibly, incredibly loyal team around the world, Malaysia, Romania, Moscow, US, UK. The team stayed together and we all had the vision of what we wanted to achieve. That's a great and, story. And eventually that company, we filed a pu- an S1 publicly in t- 2015. Because of capital markets, we decided not to go public in 2016, but we ended up selling the company to Intel. That's a phenomenal story. So you weathered the storm, right? Successfully. <laughs> yeah. It's That's like a right. around story. Love that. Yep. And we're so grateful that you guys are part of Intel today. Certainly add to our competitive portfolio of products. So thank you so much, Ronnie. That's a phenomenal story and it ends well. So I love that. So let me ask you, you talked about staying outside of your comfort zone um, and leading, you know, companies through difficult times and having to make tough decisions. So what it says to me, and I think you you and I talked about this before, and the semiconductor industry is cyclical and things are constantly changing. And so we've heard the statement that the only thing constant is change, especially in business. How do you stay focused and even keeled in the face of great change and uncertainty and turmoil and still deliver results? Yeah, so... You may have heard of a kind of an acronym called the OODA loop, the O-O-D-A loop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's observe, orient, decide, and act. Now, you know, when I first heard that term, it really captured, I think, what we were able to do and what I was able to do in constant change. And I think the term actually comes from the military, which is, you know, that your plan changes when the boots hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what um, I think has characterized the course of my career, whether professionally or personally, is, you know, you've got to observe the things that are going on around you. 
mm-hmm. and you quickly orient to new directions or stay the course. But the decision has to happen quickly and you need to act quickly. Mm-hmm. You can't contemplate for too long. Sometimes you may not have all the data, right? But the change is coming, whether it's something you can control or can't control. And so the ability to decide and act are, I think, tantamount to being able to be comfortable in that um, changing environment. It gives maybe the false impression that you have some control because you're making some decisions and you're acting. But uh, you know, one thing it does do, though, it means that you're not, if somebody's zigging and you're zagging, uh, if your market zigging and you're zagging, you know, you need to start zigging pretty quickly and understand where the next zig's going to. So the observation piece of that is really critical. And whether you're consciously observing or you're just subconsciously observing trends and markets and customers and thought processes within customers, and you're going to change to those things. You know, going back to 2008, 2009, we had initially decided as a company in the ASIC to go very broad to as many customers as we can because we felt that that was going to give us uh, growth potential. Well, we quickly realized after 2009 that many of these engagements were no going nowhere. So we decided to focus. And that was a decision that we took almost subconsciously without really you know, a lot of data. We said, who are the customers that can drive our revenue? Mm-hmm. Let's just focus on those three customers instead of the 30 that we'd engaged with. So really that OODA loop paid off, right? Really understanding what was going right. on and where you needed to reorient your business. Where did you need to refocus and make those key decisions quickly to get the business moving forward. Thank you so much for that reminder. The OODA loop, I do recall. It's, I think we need yeah. to put that back in practice. I'll, I'll stick with that acronym. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you talked a little bit about the um, importance of community, growing up, networking, key relationships in your career. Um, and so we all know that developing a strong network is critical to success as leaders. You know, I call mine, my squad or Team Lakeisha, who are a couple of the folks over the years that have been most important members to your team, Ronnie, so to speak, and how have they impacted you? Yeah, so on a professional level, you know, the people that have been influential are really the, I would say, people that I learned to work with when I was uh, at LSI Logic. Now, that gave me domain level experience as well as a network of contacts. So, you know, CEOs that were alongside that people may know now was John Dana, who was CEO of Altera, Moshe Gavrilov, CEO of Xilinx, Jensen Huang, CEO of NVIDIA, Brian Haller, CEO of National Semiconductor, and the list goes on. So, you know, these were people that I worked with and really taught me different facets, both while the time that we worked together and then subsequently. Now, Wolf Corrigan, who was CEO of LSI Logic at the time and founder of LSI Logic, was very influential. And I think the thing that I learned from him was the image and the capability of the person, and then the person behind that image, the persona behind that image. And sometimes they're two different things. Hmm. But, you know, that's something that I think um, as you go through your career, you're going to find one will find these people that say, Okay, this is who I am, but 
you don't really know me as a person. And when you get to know them as a person, you can really understand how they work and how they operate at work. Within EASIC, I would say the people that were very influential, I was very fortunate to have a great board of directors. And, you know, whether it be Vinod Kosler, who was at Kleiner Perkins um, when he first invested and then formed his own company, or John Doerr, or uh, CEOs of companies, uh, uh, people that are now CEOs of companies and were multiple serial entrepreneurs. You know, those people just taught me, hey, you know what, how do you run a company? But how do you run a company in the environment of raising money? Mm. And I very quickly realized that, um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to make money. Right. You know, we're not here. We're not here <laughs> as a as a science project. Right. So, you know, I learned how to manage a P and L pretty quickly. For instance, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, those are the things that I think are critical as you get to your build your network. Mm-hmm. It's getting to know people personally, the people that are going to help you, but also just working with people that. You might not think uh, are helpful to you, but you're going to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a network is, is not helping people because of whom they are necessarily, but because of what they can teach you. Well, listen, I know um, you're pretty athletic and I know we've in the work environment, you guys um, had some teams of, where you competed to see who could be the most physically fit. And um, you talked about being an athlete at a young age. I know you spent some time with the Navy SEALs. I just love that. You know, why did you do this and how did it make you a better leader? And maybe, you know, things that you learned, how have you applied those learnings to your life and career based on the time you spent with them? Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's really the epitome of getting comfortable by being uncomfortable to me. It was, I was very fortunate to be able to initially part of a charity event to go down and spend a day with um, some ex Navy SEALs and some people trying to get into, to be a Navy SEAL. And uh, this was down in uh, Coronado on the beach. And we did, many people have seen the buds training. We did a, a brief intro to Bud's training. And, you know, that very much taught me that, you know, a few hours down on the beach, plus the camaraderie the night before and afterwards, that, um, you know, you've got to have relationships and friendships that are kind of forged in challenging times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can apply that in any work environment, especially in the semiconductor environment. You know, there are challenging times in the businesses we're in. And sometimes the best relationships are forged at that time. And you know you're going to get out of it at the end of the day. And the thing that's important is keep a sense of humor. Right. You know, I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to spend some time with the people that had been in the SEAL teams. And their sense of humor is, I think, second to none. And I actually asked um, a couple of them to come and do some business training both at EASIC, and then we were going to do something at Intel, which never panned out. But, um, you know, they can apply the things that they learned, like OODA Loop, for instance, to business very easily. And it gives me, you know, my excuse is now I can go challenge myself physically, but (laughs) um, but also have a business slant to it as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love and, it. I you love know, that. Try and help out now on the when I can um, an organization called the Navy Seal Foundation, which helps uh, in multiple ways that community. Speaking of that, you know, again, you've been in industry for quite some time and had a lot of success, and I'm sure your leadership style has evolved over time. You know, what do you know about leadership today that you didn't know 20 years ago? And maybe how did you learn that lesson? Yeah. So, you know, as I said, 20 years ago, I really didn't think about leadership. I think when I really started to think about leadership was when I went to work at EASIC, because there, you know, I was a CEO. So I was seen as the leader. And then I started to think, wow, I am the leader. Before, you know, I'd managed teams and, you know, run organizations. And I I guess naturally I'd fallen into some leadership skills, but it hadn't been a conscious thought as much. So, you know, what I know now is really driven more around some of the experiences I got when I actually started to think about leadership. And I was fortunate enough that one of the venture capital firms I worked with, uh, Kleiner Perkins, organized CEO campfires, roundtables, events. So I got to know a lot of CEOs and see that persona and very quickly kind of realized that, hey, you know, that to, to be a leader, one has to really lead a team. And the team can be small, large doesn't matter, but you've got to do, as I said before, you've got to be able to spark the imagination. Mm-hmm. You've got to put the people's cares or con- in their thoughts in context, right? They've got to know you so they, that you don't have to be there all the time, but they know the way you think, mm-hmm. they know the way you act, and they will be consistent with those values, those values that will permeate throughout the organization. You know, one doesn't have to be there all the time. So that's just an example of, you know, getting your values and people understanding your values, people understanding the way you think, Mm -hmm. but sparking their imagination and being able to answer or really anticipate where that um, next zag is coming from in the zigzag so that you can tell people this is where we're going. Mm Mm-hmm. So powerful. So true. I love that. Right. Especially as leaders, it's important to to make sure we can simplify the complexity and really articulate a clear vision of where we're going and make sure that everyone in the organization understands that. And you do that that so well. Thank you for that. A couple other things I want to tease out. Right. I mean, again, I keep going back to just the breadth and depth of experience that you've had in the industry and the impact. What keeps you motivated to stay in the game? I mean, you could walk away anytime, right? You've you've done things that many people dream of, being CEOs of large companies, large and small, right? You know, you could actually hang your hat up um, as you have worked with the who's who of Silicon Valley for years. But why are you still here? Why are you still in the game? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think it was Andy Grove. Well, Andy Grove said only the paranoid survive. (laughs) I would modify that to say only the inquisitive survive. You know, it's that inquisitiveness of constantly learning. And I don't mean learning just always by reading books, but learning through application. You know, the thing that really keeps me going is the ability to, you know, take those, match new technologies, take those new technologies and match them to markets and see things evolve and grow. And if they're going to fail, they fail fast, hopefully. But, um, 
you know, that's what keeps me going. And I think it's very hard to do that when you sit back and you kind of hang your hat, hat up, as you say. You know, if we've got a great idea uh, at work and we, we think it's going to do well, it's, you know, you need resources and people and the mindset around you to go make that happen. And that's what still excites me. And honestly, I can't really see it's not exciting me going forward. So, you know, I think the hat hook is going to remain empty for a while. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, your passionate curiosity that you talked about has led you to really pursue innovation I'm at the highest levels. Thank you so much for that, Ronnie. Well, we could talk to you all day and, and I know you've got to go, but hey, why don't we hit our lightning round really quick? I want to ask you a few questions okay. and then allow you to move to the rest of your day, but um, some fun things, I hope. So would you rather climb a mountain or jump from an airplane? <laughs> climb a mountain. Okay, good deal. No, no doubt about it. I'll tell you why. Just, I know it's a lightning round, but- um, Please do, yes. Jumping from an airplane, gravity takes control. Mm. Climbing from a mountain, you just got to keep pushing yourself. You're fighting against yourself in a sense, right? You got to keep pushing yourself. I love that. Right. So if you have any downtime, uh, what are you watching on Netflix or what book are you reading right now? And maybe a key takeaway. Okay. So Netflix is a great series. It's only three episodes called Decoding Bill Gates oh, yes. right now. I encourage everybody to go read that. Key takeaway for me from that was uh, clarity of thought. And don't be afraid to be the one person in the room. You know, don't have to conform. You know, in terms of books, you know, good book that I read, actually not recently, but a little while ago was a book by a guy called David Goggins mm-hmm. called You Can't Hurt Me. He uh, encouraged everybody to YouTube him or um, look him up. And that key takeaway for me on that was uh, that mental toughness can carry you way, way beyond what you think is possible. Most people are limited by what they think is possible, but possibilities are way beyond that level. I love that. It's all in the mind. Thank you for sharing that. What's your favorite quote, if you have one? I don't know if it is a quote, but get comfortable being uncomfortable. It is today. I love it. (laughs) We're going to make it a quote. Um, and what advice would you give your younger self today? I mean, if there's anything else outside of what you shared with us earlier, what advice you give to your younger self? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I would say always be inquisitive. Mm-hmm. As I said, only the inquisitive survive. And strange as it may seem, take more risks. Yeah. Love it. Nope. Spot on. Spot on. And the last question, what are three words that describe you? Maybe, uh, so... Description is interesting because it kind of views somebody from as somebody looking at me. So I would say maybe um, approachable, mm-hmm. calm, and then something that somebody looking at me doesn't know, internally agitated. Mm, I like that. Say more about that. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I am constantly try- agitated by things around me. Mm-hmm. You know, and always want to learn more about those things and try and apply that. You know, I'm agitated by artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to learn more about it from people and reading, and and then I want to apply it. And Absolutely. that's just one tip, one example, but there's many of those things. 
Wow, I love that. On that note, man, we've enjoyed chatting with you today. And, and I want to give my audience an opportunity to continue to, to follow you and your career. And so would the best place to connect with you be on LinkedIn? Uh, I know we're already connected. So I'm going to send them to LinkedIn, yeah. Twitter by chance. Yeah, yeah. LinkedIn, by, for sure. Okay, so we'll make sure to follow you on LinkedIn and Twitter. And again, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your career story and the importance of being fearless and taking risks and always staying internally agitated. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Lakeisha. It's been a great pleasure. And thanks for giving me the, this opportunity. We've enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Ronnie. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time. 